the, the, next, the next piece of, of, of the Gospels where we're going to be learning about the chron- chronological events in the life of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to see now is we're going to start reading out of Matthew chapter 14, verse 20. Uh, um, I'm sorry, John, l- l- let's start with this. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 14. So we had read last time, and we looked at the three different Gospels, but we had read, I think, primarily in, in John, where Jesus had fed the 5,000. And in John chapter 6, uh, we'll start actually reading from verse um, 14, John 6:14. So this is the next, the next event that happens after he feeds the 5,000. It says, therefore when the people, this is John 6:14. therefore when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come, who, who is to come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to a mountain by himself alone. So after the, the 5,000 men plus women and children were fed, they were going to take Jesus by force and make him king. And you say, well, why wouldn't he want this? He was the king, he's the Messiah. Remember what happened on the unpardonable sin? There's no turning back. And we discussed this. There were two other occasions where God had proclaimed a judgment upon Israel and there was no turning back. In both of those occasions, it says the people repented and still there was no turning back. One was after the sin of Manasseh. Manasseh repented, but there was no turning back. The judgment came and the, the dispersion came. And there was the sin of Kadesh Barnea as they were coming into the land after fleeing Egypt. Uh, uh, the people sinned, they rebelled against God, God proclaimed the judgment, the people repented, didn't matter, they still had to go through the wilderness 40 years before they could enter the land. Not only that, it says in Psalm chapter 2, in Psalm chapter 2 verse 6, it says that the king would be installed in Mount Zion in Jerusalem, uh, not in the Galilee, and this is up in the Galilee, so it was the wrong place. And it was already after the unpardonable sin, so Jesus would have nothing to do with being installed as king up in the Galilee. Already the judgment had come. He is going to one day be installed as king. We don't know when that's going to be, uh, but he will return and be, be installed as king in Jerusalem. But we're still waiting on that event to take place. But that's what happened. And so now we're going to pick up and read the Gospels, the three different... Gospels record the next event. And this is the event where Jesus walks on water. You've heard this expression, walking on water. This all comes from what's recorded in, in three accounts of the Gospel. And so, now that we're in John chapter 6, we'll go right into that account. In John chapter 6, verse 16 through 21, is this account. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into the boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It, was, it had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because of a, strong, a strong wind was blowing. Then, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. And they were frightened, but he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. So, you see that... that uh, uh, it says that his, his disciples went down to the sea, they got into the boat, and they started across the sea back to Capernaum. So remember, they were in Bethsaida. 
They went up on a mountain and were fed. Then they go back down into the town of Bethsaida, which is on the water there, and they go across the sea to Capernaum, back to where they had started. Now, I want to remind you what we had covered last week. Remember that very long day that they were part of? They had finished this ministry. They had just come back. And Jesus said, wow, you guys are wiped out. Let me take you alone and we'll go across the water to a lonely place and, you know, we'll just, just download. And so they go across the water. The, the multitudes see it and they walk on the land all the way to Bethsaida. So they walked about ten miles. It's about, about four miles or five miles to, to um, it's about four or five miles to Bethsaida from Capernaum. They had gotten on the boat. When they got there, there were all these crowds. And so then Jesus started teaching the crowds. Then he said to his disciples, feed them. And then Jesus multiplied the food. And the disciples had to physically carry the food to groups of 50 and groups of 100 to feed the 5,000. Remember, they were already exhausted. They had not even had time to eat before they left Capernaum. They, they ate in Bethsaida because there were 12 baskets, plenty left for them. Now they ate. And now, all of a sudden, Jesus sends them back across the water. They go back. So this is still the same day. It's now evening time. The evening is just setting in. They're going back across the water. And, they, and, and then they get caught in this storm on the water. Now let's read the same account from the, the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Because each Gospel writer is recording this a little bit differently from their perspective. And, and recording different events that occurred. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. And he had sent the crowd, and after he had sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And, and uh, the, the next part of this is the account of, of Peter uh, walking on the water, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Let me... Let me uh, let me look, let's look now in Mark, Mark chapter 6, verse 45, and let's look at Mark's account of this, what was going on. So what Mark records here. So this is information that Mark had acquired and, and, uh, by speaking with the disciples. In Mark chapter 6, verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to, to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone. And he was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, "Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid." Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Okay, so we see these three different accounts of what happened, and each one gives us some information. What's interesting is, both in Matthew 14.22 and in Mark 6.45, 
it says that he made his disciples get into the boat. And in the, in the Mark account, it says he, he made them get into the boat. So they went down to Bethsaida, which was on the water, got into the boats and went toward Capernaum. But Jesus, it wasn't as if they said, well, we've had it with you. I mean, you've kept us so busy here. We'll just go back to Capernaum. This wasn't out of rebellion. Jesus made them get in the boats and go back to Capernaum. One might think that if you walk in obedience to Jesus, everything will be easy. But that's totally opposite to what we see here. It wasn't necessarily easy. In fact, in obedience to Him, they probably would have said, let us just go to sleep here. You know, dismiss the crowds. You fed them, just dismiss them and let us... You know, it's a nice hillside. Let us just lay down and go to sleep. Jesus sent them back into the boats to go across the water. As they're going across the water, they get caught in a storm. It says in the John account that evening was setting in. It says that that in the account in, in Matthew, in the account in Matthew, it, it says it was now the fourth watch of the night before he had come walking to them on the water. So they had been rowing for six to nine hours because the fourth watch is, is, is three to six a.m. So they had been rowing for six to nine hours. They had been on the water. And remember we had talked about what happens on the, on the Sea of Galilee. You can have these storms just blowing very quickly down off these mountains. And the wind was totally opposite to them. It says the wind was contrary, so they were rowing. And they were exhausted, it says, in rowing. When the wind is totally against you, you've got to row. And so here they are rowing, trying to get to the other side. And remember, it had already been a very long day. I mean, come on, God. Can't you just work this out, Jesus? I mean, aren't we kind of in this together? This is a very long day. And you knew that it was going to get contrary because you're the Son of God. Yet you sent us out into this. Just because you are walking in God's ways doesn't mean that your life is going to be totally easy. The wind was contrary. It was totally opposed to them. And in fact, it says that they were rowing so hard... um, you know, and it says in the Matthew account that Jesus was there on the, on the mountain and he was able to see them rowing so hard. Why would he let them row so hard for six to nine hours in this kind of storm? And it says they were in the middle. So they had gone out by about three to three and a half miles, it says, three or four miles in the John account. They had been, the wind was blowing against them. For they had rowed about three or four miles. So they had already been rowing three or four miles with the wind totally against them. So they're in probably about three boats, maybe four boats, for those, those twelve disciples going across the water and working really hard to get across. Did you know students aren't the only ones who work really hard? <laughs> you know, once in a while there's other people who work really hard. And ministry is really hard. If you want to serve the Lord, it means that you can't just... You know, you're, once in a while, you're going to miss an, a football game that's really important to you. Once in a while, you have to lay things down that are really important to you for the sake of ministry. For the sake of ministry. You have to do this. 
There are things that happen for the sake of ministry. I mean, even this week when I did the Veritas Forum, you know, just I, I gave a talk at uh, Schlumberger on Wednesday, and and then had to quickly prepare this talk, and then Thursday morning, Shireen and I had to leave for for uh, for Atlanta. As soon as we landed, they picked us up, dropped us off at the hotel. We dropped off our bags. And then I started going into meetings, and it's just one meeting after another, right up to the Veritas Forum, spoke in the Forum for 40 minutes, and then there was another hour of questions that went on. And you know, I'm, I'm an early-to-bed person, and then there were all these people that wanted to see me. So I didn't get to bed till midnight, which is way past my bedtime. And, and, uh, um, and then I had to get up very early the next morning, so I had to get up before 4 to get some things done. And then they picked me up at 7.30, and then, then I had to have this tour of the nano facilities and then meet with students for breakfast. And it's not like I could just sit there and go, oh, just, you know, sipping on a cup of coffee. I had to meet with all these graduate students and, you know, run the thing, you know, and, you know, have breakfast with them, which means that they eat and I, you know, stand there and talk. And... <laughs> And then I went into more meetings, and then I had to have, then I had an 11 o'clock meeting where I had to present to a group of Christian students, and then right from there I had to meet with the Christian faculty, and then have lunch with the Christian faculty, which means that they're sitting there filling their face while I'm speaking, and, and uh, so, and then have a couple more meetings, and then starts the technical lecture that I had to do. So, so... Um, so I give a technical lecture, and, and then right away to the airport, and these, these young guys in the airport are talking to me and, uh, in the car, and they're trying to, and I'm just falling asleep, and you know, they were just peppering me with all sorts of questions. Um, so it's not easy to do ministry. It's not easy. It's not an easy thing. Ministry is tough, and this is what Jesus is showing us. He sent them. They were very much in the will of God. People serving in the will of God have a very difficult time. Jesus wanted Joseph and Mary to be down in Bethlehem from Nazareth. They had to go to Bethlehem so Jesus could be born in the right place because it was kind of prophesied that he'd be born in, in Bethlehem and not in Nazareth, so he had to get them down there. So wouldn't it have been nice if he had told them, hey, you know, at some point you guys might want to go on down to uh, Bethlehem because your baby needs to be born there. And... Uh, uh, but no, he has a census put out by Caesar Augustus that says everybody has to go back to their hometown. Well, conveniently, that census comes out when Mary is nine months pregnant. You know, of all times. And so when a woman is pregnant, now I've seen this multiple times in my home, and a woman is that pregnant, the woman changes. There are changes in the woman. And these are all chemically based, actually. There's chemical reasons for this. Whether they will accept it or not, there are chemical reasons for this. And, and they're not always happy about surprises like this sort of thing that occurred. And I know we see this picture of Mary riding on a donkey with Joseph pulling the donkey. We have no indication that they owned a donkey. We have an indication that they were very poor. So it's unlikely that they owned a donkey. And so they, they get down, and, and then all of a sudden Mary finds out that, that uh, Joseph forgot to make reservations at the inn. <laughs> and so they have to sleep in a barn. 
I'm telling you, Mary wasn't, probably wasn't like, oh, that's just fine. I'm okay with this. I'm having labor pains, but the barn is just fine. It's a difficult thing. I really feel sorry for Joseph. (laughs) Very much in the will of God. Very much in the will of God. But the winds are often contrary. This happens in life. The winds can be contrary, though you're in the will of God. And they're straining at the oars. Jesus sent them in this direction. Jesus did it. And He's up on the mountain praying. Occasionally looking up. They haven't gotten very far. You know, and, you know, and they're just fighting this wind. So then Jesus, being the Son of God, He starts walking across the water. Remember, you don't go very fast across the water. You know, they didn't have these big roods that just you know, take you across the water. They're just rowing and they were against the wind. So Jesus comes walking across the water. And, and look at this in, in Mark, in the Mark account. It says in verse 47 of Mark 6, When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, so it was nowhere near the land. And he was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He intended to pass by them. He intended to pass by them. Well, thanks a lot! I mean, Jesus is walking. He's like, Hey, guys. (laughs) This is is what he's doing. He's intending to pass by them. That's his intent. It wasn't to help them out. It was to just walk by. And just... He could have, you know, gone a few hundred yards away. They wouldn't have seen him in that storm. But no, he intentionally just walked close to them. And they see him and they're terrified. They, it says in two accounts that they, they thought that they were seeing a ghost. And Jesus comforts them. And this could well have been that they thought they were seeing the angel of death. I mean, these guys are fishermen. They know. They were straining at the oars. And now they're in the middle of the sea. They're not near land and they're just wiped out. And they think this is it. And they're terrified. Because you, guys don't normally come walking across the water, you know. There's, there's not... You don't have much information on that type of thing. So that's scary. And he right away sees them. They they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. So they're just screaming. I mean, remember, these guys have been up for a long time, wiped out. And and you you know, when when you've had a good night's sleep, you can handle things. But when you're really tired, you know how you're... I mean, things just start to break down emotionally when, you, when you're really exhausted and you're fighting the waves like this. So he immediately, but he spoke to them and he said, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. <clears throat> so he was intending to pass them by, but then they cry out for help. You know, this is an important thing. God does not thrust himself, himself upon our life. It is up to us to cry out for help. The Bible says you don't receive because you do not ask. Well, why doesn't God help me? Well, why don't you ask Him to help you? Why don't you ask Him to help you? He's just going on by. He is not going to thrust Himself and insert Himself into your life. You know, we have to learn to cry out to God. This is what He calls us to do. 
This is not the way that God is, that He just comes interceding on the affairs of men all the time. Remember, He has given us a free will. He gives us a free will to walk in what He has. He gives us a free will and we can choose to walk in it or not walk in it. And He's just going by. They cry out for help. He says, oh, you want help? I can help you. He says, don't be afraid. Well, this is, this is what happened. Now, one of the accounts records something else that happened. <clears throat> so, Matthew records something that happened to Peter. Um, Mark and John left him alone on this. But, so, if you go back to Matthew chapter 14, verse 27, it says, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord... If it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me, immediately. Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said, You have little faith, why did you doubt? When, he, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. <clears throat> so Peter sees this. Now look, it's really interesting what, what happens. Peter doesn't see this, see Jesus walking, and Jesus identifies himself. He says, don't worry, take courage, it's I. Peter doesn't say, Lord, could I, could I walk on the water too? Could I come to you? That's not what Peter said. Look precisely what Peter said. As I was reflecting on this this week, I was just looking, look at the way Peter said this. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter said, so Jesus said, it's okay. It's me. You know your friend Jesus? It's me. Peter says, if it's really you, command me to come to you on the water. One might think that Jesus would say, what do you mean, if it's really me? I mean, here I am standing on the water. You've been with me all this time. And you say, if it is you. As if I now have to somehow prove myself. But isn't it interesting, Jesus doesn't do any of that. Jesus doesn't say, how could you even question that it's me? How dare you? No, Jesus says, first Peter said, if it is you, command me to come to you. Because Peter knows if there's a command, then he's going to provide a way. He says, command me to come to you. So Jesus, no problem. He says, come, an imperative, a command. Come, there's the command. Peter gets out of the boat and starts walking toward Jesus. A command from Jesus came, and Peter walks on the water. Peter starts looking around, and his faith starts to falter, and he starts to sink. How can this be? I thought if God commands it, it's going to happen. Nobody can stand in its way. The Son of God has commanded it. Whether Peter has faith or not, now it's God's will. I mean, God commanded it. Peter could just do somersaults on the water. I mean, anything. Nothing's going to happen. But no, 
Peter starts to sink, even though a command had been given, because even though a command had been given, Jesus is teaching them, it must be coupled with faith. And then Peter cries out. He says, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretches out his hand. Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretches out his hand. I'll say it again. Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretches out his hand. In Proverbs 18.10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and those who run into it are safe. If you are ever really in a jam, say, Jesus, help me. Lord, help me. Learn how to use the name of the Lord to your advantage. Cry out, Jesus, help me. I teach this to children. You are in trouble, say, Lord, help me. When my car was going crazy on the highway in the, in the snowstorm, I said, Jesus, help me. Poof. started going straight. Learn how to cry out. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Those who run into it are safe. He said, Jesus, help me. Immediately, Jesus extended his arm. We need to learn to say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And go figure. He answers. But it must be coupled with faith. It must be coupled with faith. Even if there's a command that He is going to bring blessings in our life, it must be coupled with faith. This is the lesson. And it says in, in, the, in the end of, of, of the Mark portion, it says they, they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, for their heart had been hardened. How often our hearts are hardened that things happen and we fail to gain any insight that the Lord is going to take care of me. Look in Hebrews chapter 11. Again, returning to the chapter on faith because this is what we have to walk in. This is what you have to walk in. What I have to walk in. Because even though the command had been given, things started to falter when, when Peter started losing faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Theologically, they knew it was Jesus. It says that they fell down before Him and they said, You are certainly God's Son. But the Mark account tells us they have not gained any insight. Their hearts had been hardened. We must believe that He is. Theologically, we're okay. Yeah, God could do it. Yeah, God can do anything. If God wanted everything to recover, He could do it. No, we must believe that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. We must believe that He rewards those who seek Him. Turn to, look at the end of, of Hebrews 11. Verse 32. Hebrews 11:32. What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, of Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets. Now, look at this list of people. For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon. Gideon was a great man, but he had some real questionable faith at times. And God came through. And now God called him to amazing things. Barak. Do you remember Barak? Barak was with Deborah. Barak said, I'm not going in that battle. Not unless you, the prophet Deborah, go with me. She said, well, if I go with you, the glory is going to go to a woman and not to you. Well, in the New Testament, it didn't say anything about Deborah. It just did Barak. 
Barak was, was this general. But he had real wavering faith. But he took hold of this promise that, uh, uh, from Deborah. Of Samson. I mean, you look at Samson's life. I mean, he had some real problems. You know, he had some real sexual disorders. He really did. Of Jephthah. I mean, look at Jephthah. Jephthah had some real problems too. Of David. I mean, you mean the adulterer David or the murderer David? Which one? I mean, David had some real problems. Of Samuel. You know, he was, he was all right. And the prophet. <laughs> who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. It is by faith that we obtain promises. So the promise is given by God. It is by faith you obtain the promise. Without coupling faith, Lord, I believe you are going to do this. I believe you are going to do this. I was your age, not much different than your age. I would pray, God, help me. God help me. You, you know, I was, I was at my um, PhD defense. I prayed that I'd be able to ask every question that the committee asked of me. And, and, and my defense was not a public defense. It was a, um, you know, I would give the presentation to a group of four professors. And uh, um, I prayed that every question that they would ask, and one of them asked me this question. So there were many questions. I was getting one after another. I knew the answer to everything. One asked me this question. He says, so how does that reaction compare to the hydroformylation reaction? And I knew the hydroformylation reaction. But at that instant, I forgot. I forgot the hydroformylation reaction. So, I'm com- so um, to compare the reaction that I developed as part of my thesis to the hydroformylation reaction, and it just blanked out of my mind. I forgot that reaction. And I turned to the board to start writing, and before I could, you know, I just, just, it was an instant. He asked me, couldn't remember, I'm turning to the Lord to begin to, uh, to the board to begin to, to write. And my, my PhD professor was so excited about my work that he said, oh, this is totally different than the hydroformylation reaction, because the hydroformylation reaction gives the opposite regiochemistry. And the other professor turned to my professor and said, I know you know that, I'm testing him. And I said, the hydroformylation reaction gives the other regiochemistry. And immediately came back to me. You, know, you pray and you ask God to open doors and He does this type of thing. He will open doors for you. I prayed that, that there wouldn't be changes that I'd have to make in my thesis. You know, after I submitted my thesis, you know how many changes I had to make? Zero. Zero. No changes. Because it was perfectly done. Right? Wrong. It's because they never read it. They never read it. You know, the busy guys, I know how that is. So none of them ever read it. That's most theses. Nobody ever reads these things. And, and uh, they just get shoved into the library. And nobody, that's it. But God, God will answer prayers. He does this sort of thing. You cry out to Him, He will answer. You cry out to Him, and He will answer. 